Welcome back to the podcast, Unbinding the Bible. This is episode 33, Born from Above. And the following is a sermon that I preached in May of last year from John chapter 3, and Jesus' dealings with a religious man named Nicodemus. And I'm choosing to insert it here at this point in the podcast because of last week's episode regarding Jesus deciding and declaring, rather, that the members of God's family, the members of his family, are those who hear the words of God and do them. And to bring this full circle, particularly as Jesus is explaining his teachings to the world, to any person who chooses to believe them, lest any one of us think that it is simply a matter of obeying God and doing our best to listen to what he says and obey it, lest we think that's what it means to be members of the kingdom of God. Jesus needs to offer some correctives, and he does so to a religious man named Nicodemus in John chapter 3. And so I am very excited to share this message with you. I wasn't actually thinking of sharing it, and just this week as I was thinking through and praying through how best to lead the next episode, this one came front and center, and it is a perfect fit, a perfect explanation of what it means to draw our life source for that obedience directly from heaven itself and from the presence of God. And so I hope that this sermon is helpful for you. And uh, if you have any questions, I'd love to hear from you. So here it is. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to John. Glory Glory to you, you, Lord Christ. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, Unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear it sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Father, thank you for giving us your word and the truth that is found in it. Thank you for letting us have a peek at an interaction Jesus has with Nicodemus. 
so that we might learn all we can about what the good news really is and what you've called us to. Give me grace as I speak. Give us ears to hear that we might meet with you this morning. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. The phrase born again, particularly as it's used by society as a whole today, has taken on a somewhat negative connotation over the past few decades. Ooh, that person's born again. They found religion. Now they think they're better than everyone else or something to that effect. Have you ever heard this type of thing? Are you happen to be among those kinds of people who think this type of thing about the word born again? I, I don't know where you are, but the category born again Christian has come to be associated, whether fairly or not, with stiff, moral, uptight, religious people at least in the minds of many. But what I cannot help but find fascinating about this is that when the word born again was first found on the lips of Jesus, it had none of those ideas in mind. None of them. To be born again then simply cannot mean that one has found religion or one has become moral precisely because it was to a religious and moral person that Jesus first spoke these words. Yeah, you heard me correctly. Jesus told a moral, religious person that he needed to be born again. And because he did, and I might add, this is the only time that Jesus tells someone he needs to be born again, what he meant then is something that everyone, the religious and the irreligious, need to hear. And I hope to be able to explain to you what I think Jesus meant when he used these words this morning. And so if you have a Bible and would like to follow along, I'm going to go right through the passage that I just read from John chapter 3. Now in the opening verses of John 3, we're introduced to a ruler of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. He is a man of privilege. He is an educated, wealthy, learned, elderly, religious studies professor, for lack of a better way to describe him. And we're told that he comes to Jesus at night, arguably because as a Pharisee, not too many of his colleagues thought that well of Jesus at the time. In fact, many of his colleagues hated Jesus. In John chapter 2, if, you know, if you're reading along in this story, at the chapter immediately before this, we saw Jesus disrupt all the temple worship going on. An unthinkable, irreverent thing to do. Flipping over tables, driving out people with whips. So there's not a lot of good that can come from someone seeing Nicodemus with Jesus. At least not a lot of good from other Pharisees. And so he makes sure no one sees him. He sneaks off by himself at night, and when he meets Jesus, he says to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Now, teachers have no problem recognizing other teachers, especially teachers in their field. 
they see similar characteristics, similar traits from one teacher to the next. Nicodemus, remember, is a teacher of religious matters. He's a master of the scriptures. He makes his living interpreting the Bible, finding out all he can about God's ways with his people, and then explaining what he finds to others. And he's been doing it for a very long time. And he sees something in Jesus that reminds him of himself. Here's a guy who must be associated in some way with God too, just like me. Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. And you might initially think that Jesus would be impressed with this. He knows I've come from God. He's attaching the signs that he just saw me do and changing water to wine and cleansing the temple. And this was another sign of a different kind. But Jesus isn't impressed. Because Jesus knows something that Nicodemus doesn't. He knows what's inside Nicodemus. Look back, if you have a Bible handy, flip back the page or look up the page, whatever it happens to be, to the last few verses of John chapter 2. These oftentimes get overlooked, but they're actually really helpful if you want to understand what Jesus is dealing with with Nicodemus. In John 2, starting in verse 23, John tells us this. Now, when Jesus was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people. And he needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. Jesus already knows what's in the heart of man, and he therefore needs nobody to bear witness about man. And yet this is exactly what Nicodemus is trying to do. We know that you are a teacher come from God. Really? Who's we? The other Pharisees? The Pharisees that Nicodemus is afraid to be seen in the presence of Jesus with? Is he talking about the Jewish people as a whole? Other leaders? The priests that Jesus just drove out of the temple? Like, who's the we? We're not told. All we know is that Nicodemus is bearing witness on behalf of others, some unknown we, as evidence that he and they are able to spot a messenger of God when they see one. We're both teachers, Jesus. We get it. We're not all that different, you and me. Maybe I could learn a thing or two from you, but on the whole, our eyes are set on the same target. Now, it's in response to this kind of thinking that Jesus gives his famous words. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Here's what I think he's saying. No Nicodemus... Our eyes are not on the same target. Unless you are born again, you cannot even see the kingdom of God. Now, all of the debate centers around what we do with this word again. It sounds kind of strange. Some translations translate it differently than this, but the ESV, the one we use, translated it as born again. But it's the Greek word anathen. 
You didn't know you're going to get a Greek lesson today? Of course you're going to get a Greek lesson today because we get our English translation from Greek. So it's best when we go back and say, what did that word mean there? And the fact that language is fluid and language is never one thing always means one thing, then when we see different ways that it's translated into English, it helps us piece it together. And so I'd like to do that for you today because the Greek word that we translate again is the Greek word anothen, and it simply means from above. So, the same word is actually used by Jesus before we even get out of John chapter 3. When it's not in our passage this morning, but it's in another one, and it's from John 3, 31, and here's what it says. He who comes from above is above all. Jesus is speaking, and he's referring to himself. It's the same word, anothen, from above. I've underlined it for you to help keep it clean. Jesus is the one who has come, in some sense, from above. Or when Jesus is standing before Pilate in John 19, and Pilate is stunned that Jesus is not appealing to him for help, that Jesus doesn't recognize that Pilate has authority to release him or authority to punish him, and Jesus responds by saying this, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Unless it had been given you on earth in. Pilate ultimately receives any real authority from God himself. The authority he thinks he has is really no authority at all. It comes from above. It comes on earth in. Or take this one. Jesus' tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. Woven in one piece, anothen, to bottom. Or this, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. From top, anothen. So this is what our word means. It means simply something coming from the top down. Connected with the word born, it means from another place rooted in a different source, drawing on life from somewhere else. In short, anothen means from heaven to earth, from above to that which is below. So when James writes to, of all people, teachers in James chapter 3, he draws particular attention to the words teachers use and the wisdom behind their choices. And then he says this, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down on earthen, from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make 
peace. So James is doing something similar to what Jesus is doing, although maybe not as intense. He's comparing a wisdom that comes from above versus a wisdom that is from here. Jesus' words in John 3, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Unless one is born onothen, Jesus says, he cannot even see the kingdom of God. Now let's back into our story. Nicodemus is a seasoned teacher. He thinks quickly on his feet. He has to. He's probably asked questions a lot of the time. However, Nicodemus is not used to being talked to this way. He's used to being the one with the answers, not the one being taught. And so how does he respond to Jesus's words? We got into a discussion in Sunday school and how, what is the, 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 the demeanor of Nicodemus here, okay? And I'm going to venture an interpretation, which is all we can give to any of these stories if we actually want to make them enter into real life. But it looks to me like Nicodemus responds the way many people do when their perspective on an issue is legitimately challenged. They offer their opponent the least generous interpretation of what they've just said. They turn the opposing point being made into the silliest sounding perspective they can so that they are perfectly justified in rejecting it as nonsense. How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Now, the reason why I think that gets at the heart of the passage better is because Nicodemus is no dummy. Nicodemus is a genius. He is a bright, learned, wise person. It's easy to assume, oh, he just missed it. He just missed what's so evident. It's not. But I think he hears what Jesus is saying and wants to throw it back on Jesus. What are you talking? Seriously? Really? He offers him the least generous interpretation. We see this all the time, don't we? Could you not more or less describe the totality of political debate today by the least generous interpretation? Take an opposing viewpoint, reduce it to its least generous interpretation, show how stupid that interpretation is, knock it down with your clearly superior reasoning, and then move on unchanged and unaffected. Don't let their challenge be a challenge. Just dismiss it out of hand as foolishness. In other words, ignore James's definition of what wisdom from above looks like by failing to be open to reason. Nicodemus here is not open to reason. He's the teacher of Israel, and he already has life all figured out. But thank God in this scenario, Jesus doesn't allow Nicodemus to hijack the conversation because we still need to know what in the world he's talking about. So Jesus does not entertain Nicodemus's least and generous interpretation smokescreen. Instead, he simply repeats himself calmly and rationally. Unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born anothen. 
The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. So Jesus repeats himself, but he broadens his point. He makes born of water and the Spirit synonymous with born from above, and he makes see the kingdom of God synonymous with enter the kingdom of God. If, if you just watch the pattern of what Jesus is saying, this is precisely what he's doing. And here's what he's saying to Nicodemus. How you are looking at things, Nicodemus, is keeping you from entering the kingdom of God. The spirit that once hovered over the chaotic waters at creation needs to hover over the chaos of your own heart. It's dark in there, Nicodemus. It's really, really dark. It's formless and void. It's unformed and uninhabited, just like creation once was. And into that dark, chaotic place, light needs to be shined. For without it, you will never see anything. I've come to offer that light, Nicodemus. I've come to offer you and everyone else a new creation. And Nicodemus still doesn't get it. How can these things be, he says. Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? You know the Bible, Nicodemus. Don't you teach this Bible for a living? You then, of all people, should know what your Bible says. And Nicodemus should know. He should know about Isaiah 44, where God compares his wayward people, as well as the rest of humanity, to dry, parched, cracked ground that desperately needs water. And how God compares the giving of His Spirit to be like the life-giving water that dry, parched ground desperately needs. For I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour my Spirit upon your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. Do you see the Hebrew poetry going on in Isaiah 44? This is one of these parallelisms. I will pour water on the thirsty land, and then in the next breath, he compares pouring his spirit out onto people. This is correct. This is the way good poetry is written, and it's the way good poetry should be read. Spirit and, the water, and, spirit and water are made somewhat interchangeable here. Nicodemus should also know about Ezekiel 36, where the people's persistent idolatry and hard-heartedness had made their hearts dirty, impure and in need of cleansing and how God had promised to one day wash their hearts clean himself with his own spirit and here's how he says it I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses and from all your idols I will cleanse you and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh 
And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. It's as if Jesus is saying, Nicodemus, you are willing to call me teacher because for you, that's all you think you need. The source of your obedience and goodness and competence is still coming from you. It's being driven by your learning and your striving. Nicodemus, you can't just add something to your life, say some good teaching or a helpful piece of advice, and then go on from there. That's not what the kingdom of God is. You actually need your very being to be animated and driven by a whole new source. You know these passages, Nicodemus. You're a Bible teacher. Don't you realize that your people's hopes rest on God doing these things for His people through His Spirit? And are you not a part of this people yourself? Or are these promises just extended to the really needy among God's people and the really bad? No, Nicodemus. Even you need this new source too. This life-giving spirit from above. Do not think you are going to get who I am if you are trying to fit me into your own religious and political categories or the way you look at the world. I will not fit into any of that. You can't put new wine into old wineskins, Nicodemus. New wine is for fresh wineskins. And that's what you need. You need to be made into a fresh wineskin. And only the Spirit can do that. We speak of what we know, Jesus says. And bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. Now, I hope you're good readers of Scripture, but did you catch the first person plural pronouns that Jesus is using to talk to Nicodemus? We speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If you remember, Nicodemus approached Jesus bearing witness about man by using the pronoun we, although we never figured out who the we was that he was referring to. Jesus now responds by bearing witness about God using the exact same pronoun, we. Jesus knows what's in man, but man stumbles all over the place trying to grasp what's in God. So Jesus is here revealing to us what we desperately need to know, and it is this. The one who truly gives life, who shines light into dark places, who brings order out of chaos, who cleanses and makes new, is the one who comes from above. He, the three in one, is above all. We speak of what we know. And yet, unlike teachers on earth who exalt themselves because of how much they've learned, the one who comes from above is willing to be lifted up in a very different way. Jesus draws on another familiar passage of Scripture to Nicodemus to explain who he is. 
This time, instead of going to the prophets, he's going to go back to the historical books, all the way back to the book of Numbers. It's a passage from Numbers chapter 21, where just to summarize the story for you, after repeated bickering and complaining among the people that the Lord wasn't meeting their needs properly, the Lord finally allowed the people to feel the consequences of their foolishness and rebellion. He sent serpents among the people that bit many of them, wounding them, causing them great suffering, and even killing some of them. When the people cried out to Moses for help, the Lord directed Moses to make a serpent out of bronze, put it on a pole, and place it before the people. Whoever had been bitten by a serpent, if he would simply look to the bronze serpent on the pole, he would be healed. What a strange story. Why would Moses lift up a serpent in the wilderness? Well, because God told him to. Okay, that's a true answer. That's a true answer. Let's get deeper. Because the Lord needed the people to see what it was that was causing them so much pain. The people needed to see their sin. They needed to look at the filth and the darkness and the pain that their sin had caused. Sin hurts people. It was hurting them. And they needed to realize this. They needed to look at an image of their sin. But they needed to do so by looking away from themselves at the exact same time. The serpent on a pole allowed them to do both. Look at what our sins have caused but look also at what God provided to take care of them. And here's the connection Jesus is making. When he is lifted up on a pole or on a cross, we will look at him there. And in looking at him there, we will be staring into the human tendency within all of us to get rid of that which we view as an intrusion into our way of doing things our way of living, our way of understanding. For the complaining Israelites, the intrusion was that the Lord expected them to trust Him to provide for their daily needs even though they desperately wanted that knowledge for themselves. They wanted to know where their next meal was going to come from. When God didn't divulge that information, they flipped out. The Israelite people viewed Jesus in much the same way. Jesus the very embodiment of truth, when he stood before the people, was utterly rejected. This same tendency exists within every person when they are confronted with something they are doing wrong or when someone points out an area of hypocrisy in their life and they simply refuse to hear it, to own it, or to accept it. Instead, they push it or them away and get defensive and critical and angry. Who are you to tell me that my life's not everything it should be? And when they do this, they express their true belief that Jesus really is just their teacher and that they've been following his teachings just fine. Thank you very much. But Jesus says that we haven't been. No one has. 
And so he tells us that we need a savior before we need a teacher. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born on of him, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Okay, then. How do you do that? What do you need to do? How is someone born from above? I mean, I hope that's the logical question we would be pondering after listening to something like what Jesus has just said. Well, in order to answer that question, we might first ask, how were you born the first time? What did you do to be born? Well, you didn't do anything. Instead, through the labor and pain of another, one who loved you deeply before you were even born, you were brought into the world. You came from them. Your mother is the one who gave you life. She shared her life with you. You came from her. And the best response a child can give then is to simply say, thank you. Thank you for giving me life. What Jesus is saying about the Spirit is something extremely similar. Through the labor and pain of another, one who loved you deeply before you were born, or as Paul says it, one who loved you deeply while you were still sinful, you are brought into the world. The wind blows where it wishes. You hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. The Spirit now controls your life. He directs your life. He empowers your life. He fuels your life. And He works on His own timetable and in his own way. But you simply cannot live apart from him. Your life, Nicodemus, at its best, was a false start. Continue heading down that path, and you will, in fact, be disqualified. You need a fresh start. One fueled by a different source of life than your flesh with all its perspectives and ideas and ways of being in the world. You need heaven itself as your source, the spirit of the living God. Only then can you enter the kingdom of God. Listen how John describes it when introducing us to the entire gospel that he's about to write. Jesus, he, the word, came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. God is the one who grants life. God is the one we desperately need for life. And it will blow past all religious categories 
of ways that we try to fit Jesus into our way of conceiving the world. And later he will tell people, you can't do that. I am new wine that would destroy old wineskins. You can't fit me into a pre-made mold any better than you would be wise or foolish to try to put new wine into old wineskins. I've come for you to be born on of him from above and to have your life source drawing from heaven, not from the earth. This is what it means to be born again. This is what it means to know God, to draw upon his strength for your life. And when you face situations that are incredibly difficult, we, we talked briefly about suffering in Sunday school. That Nobody wishes for that. But in order to follow Jesus, we've got to be drawing on our life source from above in order to endure something as staggering as suffering or something as difficult as reconciling a broken relationship, loving our children when they drive us up the wall. I mean, th- these are real things that happen in the real world. You must be born from above. It's hope and it's good news. It's good news.